Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. So tell us a little bit about this like project success method because that's kind of what the company is built on right yeah and 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 so that must have been something that you believed in enough after 11 years to be like i think like one you're so passionate about it that you want to stick around you know and not just start your own thing doing consulting you know uh, project management that kind of stuff so what what is it that makes this so special or that that drew you in to where you're willing to mortgage your house and you know, do the headaches of getting the finance together so that you could buy the company after 11 years. It's really interesting in that over time, I guess I've grown or changed or something. But when I first started with the company, I'm an engineer. And so math appeals to me. I love math. I would do math for fun. You know, I'd love it. (laughs) I would break out a quadratic equation and just go to town to give me one right now and let's rock, right? (laughs) I love that stuff. But and part of project management is the math side of things. It's saying that activity A takes five days and then activity B follows that by 10 days and you add it all up and the project will take 97 days, right? So that always appealed to me. But over time, what, I've, what I figured out was the piece that I think most people miss in project management is, is really the people side of it. And mm. in project work, to be successful, you have to understand the process. There's no doubt about that. But I think the harder part to understand and and really to manage is the people side of managing projects. Mm. And the secret sauce that I think what product success brings to the table is certainly you have to be good at the process side, but recognizing, listen, Jimmy, Joe, and Bob and Sue, they do activities A, B, C, and D, and they have to motivate them different ways. They, they are, you have to talk to them different ways. Uh, I know my old boss, he would yell at my coworkers and scream and yell, but he knew not to do that to me because I would just quit because I don't take that kind of feedback. You know, I give me pod, you give mm-hmm. me feedback, but don't yell at me and berate me in the process. But that his attitude, everybody or everybody else was doing that, but not to me. So you have to know how to deal with different people in different situations. You have to be able to build trust. And so I became quite passionate about the team side of things. And I liked the process because it supported the math side, mm-hmm. which software will also help you with. But Software doesn't help you with, with Jimmy, Bob, and Sue, right? You got to have people right. skills to do that. And that's, that's kind of where my passion laid. And truth be told, while I liked some of the people that I worked with, I thought if they bought the company, we wouldn't have a company for very mm-hmm. long because they wanted to change the culture. And if you have a venture capital as your backer, then what's going to happen is they're looking to flip and make money, right? This is not right. a long-term deal for them. This is a three-year window, mm-hmm. double, triple, whatever it is, and get out. And that's going to come on the backs of cutting some benefits or cutting some pay or trying to increase productivity and make you work five days a week on the road. And our culture had always been, you work on the road, but you work three weeks on the road and you, then you work from home a week. And they're, they're, they said, oh, we'll just make it work four weeks a, you know, on the road. And I said, okay, that's never going to work. And they, they said, oh yeah, well, because that's what Accenture does. And I said, yeah, the average kid at Accenture is 22 years old. 
The average right. guy at our company is 47. That's They're right. not going to do that. And I'm afraid if they do that, they won't have a job. The company mm-hmm. will go away. So I thought, I still didn't necessarily want to be an entrepreneur, but I thought I'd do a better <laughs> job than they would. So I wanted, so I wanted to have a job, man. So I mm-hmm. so ended up buying it and I was passionate about it. And I did love the, the people and I knew the people in the company really well. And I had done their job for so long. One of the people told me, said, Clint, nobody can ever say no to you because everything you're asking us to do, you've already done 10 times mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I knew the company inside and out. I knew the clients or the people. So I was probably the right fit for it. And it was just a matter of getting a bank to believe in me, which took a long time. Like I said, 13 mm-hmm. different banks. Wow, that's that's some serious tenacity there, going after 13 banks. Um, with the project su- success method, you know, as you're working with these different companies like Coca-Cola and, and other brands, what are some of the biggest problems that you see when you first come in? Like, what are their biggest pain points they're experiencing before you start working with them? Two things, I think both, both are human nature related. So one is, I love this quote by George Bernard Shaw, which is the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So people think they've communicated or they, maybe they did communicate and they, but it was received in a way in which they did not intend. That's one issue. And the second one is what I call siloitis, where the people like to work in silos. And I'll touch, I'll talk a little bit about each one of those. So on the first one that you probably all play when you were kids, the game called Telephone. Mm-hmm. Uh, or some version of that. And I'm not sure what yeah. they call it now, cell phone. I don't know if it's the way you use cell phones <laughs> yeah. anymore. What's a telephone? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the game, then what ends up happening is there's a group of five, six kids, and the first kid has a secret. They whisper to the second kid, and that kid whispers to the third kid and passes it on down the line. And of course, the fun of the game is what comes out of the last person's mouth is not remotely close to what was said by the first person. Well, that translates actually very well into the business world. In the business world, we will often communicate and our message somehow gets mangled. And the reason it gets mangled is because of what I call one-way communication in that I tell you what I think, and then I expect you just to understand completely what I mean and then pass that message on to the next person. But the problem is when I hear your message, I hear it through my own biases, the way that I define terms. Maybe if I'm having a bad day, I might interpret it different than if I'm having a good day. And then I interpret the message and I tell the next person who goes to their filters and they interpret the message. And it's no, it's really no surprise that the message gets mangled the further down the line it goes. So what, what we recommend is don't just communicate, have a conversation about it. Because when you have a conversation, you're able to ask clarifying questions. And so if I go back to the kids game, if each kid could ask some questions back to that first person about what do you, how do you, when you say, you know, this word, what does that mean to you? Or in the business world, when you say, I can go back to the, to the person in front before me and say, well, when you say turn left, do you mean like left into this parking lot, left at the next stoplight or next at the major intersection? I mean, where, which left do you mm-hmm. want me to take? And by asking these clarifying questions, the message is more clearly received. And when I pass it on to the next person, I can answer their questions. And now what happens, is that message is quite clear as it goes through. So I think one of the challenges in, in all companies is we over-communicate, but we don't conversate. And that's actually a word. I had to look it up to make sure that conversate is to have a conversation, a dialogue. Mm, yeah. And, you know, think about in your world, how many times you've gotten an email and you had to email back and forth 15 times. You could have solved it all 
in mm. a 45 second telephone conversation. Yeah. Right? I always tell I always tell my team pick up the phone and make a call. If, if there's some un, something unclear in an email or someone's tone seems off or something like that, I'm like, let's just call them real quick cuz I think this will solve the problem. Or my least favorite thing is somebody when you answer the phone they go, "Oh, I was going to leave a voicemail." So I didn't really want to talk to you. <laughs> I just wanted to. <laughs> so why do you know, and I'm a human nature observer. So why do people like to do that? I think that as human beings we have this burning desire to want to check things off our, our to-do list. Mm-hmm. We all have more on our list than we could possibly do. And so the best thing I want to do is be able to say, I'm done. So if I can email this or mm-hmm. post on Slack or Jira to Ben, hey, this mm-hmm. is done. What I really and truly hope is Ben never talks to me again. Because what I don't want to do is have, I don't want Ben to call me and go, Clint, this is not what I wanted because now it's on my list again. I got more work to do. So I think that's one thing we have to, to solve for is, I'm not saying that we only have conversations. I think one-way communications are great for yes, no questions or to clarify, mm-hmm. hey, here's what I heard in our meeting today. Mm-hmm. I'm recapping it. Let me know what's different. You know, I think those are great. But don't throw conversations out. And I think that one thing the pandemic did, which was already a problem before, but it's, the pandemic certainly exacerbated it, was this propensity for people to have one-way conversations, you know, one-way dialogues or one-way communications and just pass mm-hmm. it on and go on, right? And I think the other thing that is challenging in projects is, or in co- corporations is silos. If I'm teaching a group of say 50 people at a company, this is what always happens. All the engineers sit together on one side of the room and they, and they sit together because they get each other, right? They know each other. They're, they all think Dilbert is hilarious. They all get each other's <laughs> jokes. So we all took calculus as a bird is a badge of honor, you know, yeah. so they all get each other. And then what invariably happens, and this is, I'm not making this up. This is what I see in real life all the marketing people sit on the other side of the room and they sit together because they also get each other and they know each other. They just kind of speak the same language. And there's always a gap in the middle. There's no cross pollination going on at all. And I, I like to tell this story and I'm playing, I'm, I'm playing on some stereotypes here, but man, there's a grain of truth in this. Mm-hmm. So as an engineer, and I could talk bad about engineers cause I am one, right? So <laughs> as an engineer, I'm like, what do you marketing people do, man? I, you, 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 you talk a lot. Big fluffy clouds and strategy and blah 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 and you have a lot of meetings. You eat a lot of good lunches, I noticed. But at the end of the day, what have you done? You know, as an engineer, when I go home, right, you can see the code that I've written. You can the plane that I the widget that I've developed is tactile. You can see it, hold it, touch it, feel it. You know, what do you marketing people do? And the marketing person says, "Wow, Clint, I had no idea that you thought so lowly of the value that I bring to the company. Well, let me help you." You engineers are so far down in the weeds that if you didn't have me giving you a direction, you'd run into the wall or fall off the cliff. You need me giving you a direction. And the truth of the matter is, at a company that's for profit, if the marketing people are selling products that engineering can't develop, you're not going to make money. And if engineering is building something and marketing can't go out and sell, can't find a market for, you're not making money. So the only way we can, we can make money is work together in a collaborative way and make sure that we're building something there's a market for and the marketing selling something that can be done without breaking the laws of physics. And that is difficult to pull people out of their silos because they don't want to, they don't like to talk to people. They don't understand the language that gets used. And they probably are a little bit suspicious of each group. You know, each group is suspicious of the other group. So I think if I could label two things, one would be silos and the one would be uh, incorrect communication, not having conversations. Man, that makes so much sense. Uh, just from my experience working in a big organization for a few years, I I definitely identify with those situations. I mean, literally, exactly what we're talking about. Like, we're it was like developers and marketing was my situation, but very similar. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess two follow up questions. One is when you're working with these companies, how do you encourage them to? Because I I think it's like 
sometimes there's this culture of fear to ask questions of your boss. You know, it depends on what the yeah. culture is of that organization. But sometimes that boss is afraid of their boss. So it, like you literally what you said, it's telephone right down the line to the last person who's going to do the work. And they don't have the authority or or maybe guts to ask that question because you know their boss is just gonna be like, dude, you just need to do what you're told, all right? Just get it done. And it, but it's not gonna. Be, they know that they can't talk to the actual client and get it done. So so how do you change that mindset within inside of a company? So the first project is always the hardest one because the the person on that team, persons on that team have a whole history of eight years, twelve years, six years, whatever it is, of being beat up and being. Yeah, here's a great example. I always ask, how many projects are you working on right now? And the answer usually is three, four, five, all in parallel. Okay, which one's top priority? And they laugh and they say all of them, right? Well, the truth of the matter is, if they're all top priority, none of them are. They're all the same priority. You can call right. them top priority all you want. And I, you know, I also happen to think the senior management is not stupid. They got to be who they are for a reason. And they recognize that they're not all top priority. And they're just not willing at the moment to say which one's the most important, right? So. Part of our job is when we come in to facilitate the process and we're just there to educate them on how it should be done, kind of hold our hand for a little while and then, and then they take it and fly on their own, right? But what we do is we act as that, that cudgel in between, we're that, we're that shock absorber in between where when they, when, if, the, if the boss were to be in the room and say, well, just do what, what it says, then we come back and say, well, hold on, you know, things go much better if people understand the why. And didn't just not just the what, because if they understand the what, mm. you tell them, I want you to walk down this path. They're going to walk down the path. They don't really know why they're walking down the path and they might find a better way if they understood why. So yes. part of the process is articulating and defining on the front end of the project. Why are we doing it? What are the objectives? And then the scope is what are we going to do to achieve those objectives? Yeah. And the team doesn't usually affect the why. That's usually given to us, but the team can affect the scope of, well, if that's right. your goal, we should be doing this instead. That's not going to help you achieve the goal. We should be doing this instead. Totally. And we foster and facilitate that conversation uh, to try to get everybody to come to some kind of a sense of agreement. And the, once the first project is over, people say, oh, this really did work and, it, and it's really helpful. But that first one is obviously always the hardest one. Hmm. So that, that makes total sense. And for the siloitis, do you, uh, you know, is it, hey, we're going to have a team picnic or is it more like, hey, we're going to like break up into modular teams. And like, I've heard of like different ways of breaking up and like, okay, we're going to do project-based teams and break up where people actually sit. So they have to and they interact more or like, what are some of the like strategies you use to like break up the siloitis? This is a great question. And I think there's probably some not correct angst around this. So it's hmm. not like you have to cohabitate and be in the same cubicle. Uh, you know, that's not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We work on a lot of really big global projects. And what we insist upon is you bring everybody together and we do this. We fly people across the world for these projects. Hmm. We put them all in the same room for three days. And now the Olympics are a little bit longer. They're usually like three weeks. But for most projects, it's a three-day exercise. We bring them all together for three days. You know, we basically lock the door essentially and we argue about what the project is, we come to some alignment on that, and then we map out for everybody in the room, if I'm IT, what are the, you know, if I'm software developer, what are the software tasks, I'm hardware, what are the hardware tasks, if I'm engineering, what are the engineering tasks, and in the room together, we map that out as a team, as a collaborative mm -hmm. team, yep. because what that does is, first of all, let's say that Ben, you and I have worked together for 12 years, and you're in Colorado and I'm in Atlanta, we never actually met before, and I just know when I'm, when I work on my task, when I'm done, I email it to Ben 
at, you know, at acmecorporation.com and Ben does his magic and the company makes money. Everybody's happy. And this week I have one of my tasks that normally would be done. Yeah, I need to turn over to you and it's Friday at six o'clock. I've already worked 65 hours this week, man. And I'm, I'm exhausted and I haven't gotten to your task yet, but I don't really feel bad because look, I did 65 hours. It's not my fault. The boss gave me more work than I could possibly do. So I don't really, I don't really stress too much about it. I, I did more than my fair share this week. And on Wednesday of next week, when I finally get it done, I email it to you and say, Hey Ben, sorry, it took me a few extra days, but last week was crazy. Hope you, hope you're doing well. Here's what, here's what you asked for and peace out. Right. And all I know is that you did your magic and the company made money and everything's copacetic until we bring everybody together in this three-day session. And what that's going to do, it's going to turn you from my email address into a human being that I feel a connection with. So over the three days, there's probably going to be a team dinner. There's going to be some lunches. There's going to be coffee breaks. And over that three mm. days, I'm going to run into you in the hallway, going to get coffee. And I'm going to say, hey, Ben, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, let's... And over that, com- over that conversation, we're going to find out you have a kid, I've got a kid, your kid plays basketball, my, my kid plays flute, whatever it is, right? And we, we start to see that we're, we're not just email addresses, we're living being human beings, right? And that's who yeah. you connect with. You don't connect with an email address, right? You connect with a human being. Hmm. Then we go back into the room and part of the project is this thing called a critical path. And the critical path means if you're on it and your task is late, the project's late. And I say, well, Ben, that's, that's wrong because I know for a fact that that task that says that if I'm late, the project's late. I've been late before and the project wasn't late. And Ben says, hey, you know, right. You're right, Clint. Uh, <laughs> it is right. It, is, uh, it actually is on the critical path. And I know Clint's a five-letter word, but for two weekends in a row, you were a four-letter word in my house because I had to work two weekends <laughs> to make up for your lateness. And because of that, I had to miss my kid's soccer match or my kid's recital. And I start to feel bad because I got kids. I would hate to miss something in my kid's life because of somebody else, right? So mm-hmm. when I go back to Atlanta and Ben goes back to Colorado, he's still been at acmecorporation.com. But let me tell you, man, the next time I have a task, I want to make sure I'm not the reason that he misses that kid's recital, right? So mm-hmm. I want to make sure I prioritize this task, make sure it gets done or be very clear upfront about it. There's not a problem how I'm going to solve it. So what I've done is I've humanized you. And what mm-hmm. we have found is a company, we've been around for 40 years, this is our 40th year of operation. And what we found as a company is if I, those three days that we're together, the bonds we form as, as connections to each other, but also the bigger pictures, I get to understand how the whole project fits together, not just my blinders on my little piece of it. Right. I get to see the big picture, right, of why we're doing what we're doing. And we have found that you can do a two-year super complicated project based on the relationship, 100% remote, based on the relationships you build in that three-day face-to-face mm. session. And you cannot- wow. You can, you can, people say, can we shortcut it and do it on Zoom? And here's the answer, no. And here's why. <laughs> um, I talked to a, Dr. Sherry Turkle from MIT, who's written several New York Times bestsellers, one of which is com- about conversation. And in that book, before I interviewed her, I actually read the book and there was a study that was done. It says that human beings form a connection to each other based on eye-to-eye contact. Hmm. And Dr. Turkle said to me, what I'm about to say to you, is she says, Clint, right now, to make you think we're forming a connection, I'm looking at my camera, which means I can't see you at all. Right. So I'm trying to trick you into thinking, but I can't <laughs> see you. So I'm not making that connection. Right. Right. And that's, you're never going to get that. Mm-hmm. You don't get the conversation. You don't get the sidebar. Conversation. I won't learn about your kids on mm-hmm. Zoom yeah. because I'm, there's 40 other people on the call. And just, yeah. so we find that, yes, there's a cost involved with that of, the, of flights and people's time, but you get more than that of saving on the back end of the project by this. And you, those relationships are so important in project work. 
Wow. That's amazing. So it's like you're kind of taking both clarity, like you're providing extreme clarity on how your actions affect other people on the team and the whole project. Plus you're humanizing everyone. So those two combinations, the clarity and like the humanization sounds like it is like so powerful to keep people on track. That's really cool. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm much more motivated to get my task done for Ben mm-hmm. than I am for Ben at activecorporation.com. Oh yeah. You know, Ben with two kids. For sure. I, I absolutely identify with that. Yep. Absolutely. That's so true. Mm. Which is odd, right? I'm an engineer. Engineers aren't supposed to be touchy feely people, but <laughs> Yeah, I was talking to a guy at Warner Brothers Pictures one time and talking about our process, you know, hoping he was going to hire us. And he goes, he stopped me at lunch and he says, what is all this touchy-feely people stuff? I thought you were an engineer. And I said, well, <laughs> last time I checked, people do projects. And if you're not a touchy-feely person, you're not going to be successful. So, mm. you know, you got to understand people. Mm, that's good. That's really good. So your 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 latest book, uh, How Teams Triumph, Managing by Commitment, you know, I what is what is that all about, you know? And like, what is what is your current, you know, passion and drive to kind of get out there and educate people on? Yeah, so managing by commitment is kind of a continuation of what we just talked about in that most of the world today works in the matrix organization, which means as a project manager, I don't own the people on my team. I don't hire them or fire them or give them pay raises. They, they report to their functional manager for that stuff and they're dotted line to my project and five other projects. Not only do I not own the people on my team, but I'm competing for their, for their time with other projects. So the only way that I've got a shot at being successful, since I can't make you do it, is if you hold yourself accountable to get it done. And so managing by, you know, by commitment means I'm going to look at, you know, Mark and Ben and say, when, when can you get this done? How long will it take you? And what we find is there are three things we ask. First of all, you know, you probably have heard people say, I'm afraid to leave the room because when I leave the room, my name gets assigned to everything. Well, our <laughs> process says that cannot happen. You must be in the room and say, that's my task, because that's the only way you're going to be committed to it is if you say, that's my task and take ownership for it. So you have to be in the room to say, that's my task. Only you can give me the duration because only you know how much you can work on this task, how, how, how high priority your other projects are, whether you've got the kids this weekend, whether there's a big soccer match. Only you know those things. Nobody else does. Only you will know how long it realistically is going to take you to get this task done once you start it. And then you tell me what you need from other people to do your work, which is in technical terms called a predecessor. So you tell me, what do I need from Clint and Joe and Bob and Sue? You say, Clint, if I get these four things from these people, They'll take me five days to do my task. And then we find that you own that and we're going to hold you accountable to that because now you own it, right? You, you said how long, how long you needed. You said what you needed from other people and you agreed it's your task. That's a commitment to me. And we're going to hold you accountable to that and committed to it. So that's just a kind of a continuation of the people process and that we're going to, we're going to let you, hey, listen, your boss, here's going back to one of your questions about the, what if the boss says something different? Your role as a facilitator of the process is you have to protect the individual team members. And what I mean by that is, let's pick somebody who's not in the call today. Let's say that, that David is a, a team member. And David says, I asked him, David, how long will this take you to do? David says, it's two weeks. And let's say that Ben, you're David's boss and you're there and me you go, come on, David, two weeks. No, 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 Clint. He just needs three days. That's three days is more than enough time. I'm not going to put three days on it because if I do, David's not committed to it. And I need commitments, right? And so what I'm going to do is facilitate a conversation. I'm going to say, okay, well, well, David, why do you think it's two weeks? And David says, well, I have, these are the four projects. I'm trying to solve this customer issue. And 
my availability and I'm also in training for three days. So I got all this stuff going on and I can't work next weekend because it's spring break. But whatever the reasons are, you need two weeks, right? Okay. Now, David's boss, Ben, why do you think it's three days? And David, you know, Ben says, well, okay, it's not three days. I didn't realize about the spring break thing and I didn't realize about this. But what David doesn't know is somebody four or five months ago before David came on board was already working on this. And so some of the IP is already there. David just needs to, you know, push it across the finish line. And so I go back to David and say, okay, well, David, based on that information, what do you think now? David says, well, I'm not comfortable with three days, but let's make it eight days or seven days, whatever it is, right? And so I negotiate between the two parties. But at the end of the day, David's name is the owner of the task. He gets to pick the duration because I need his commitment to it. I need him to be committed to it. And if I put three days on it, what's going to happen is David's going to walk out of the room going, well, they got three, but I'm going to take 10. And he's, you know, and now we have a schedule that works on paper, but delivers late, which nobody wants. We want realistic schedules. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, it, this is really valuable because I, I even think for, for us, you know, as an agency, you know, I have employees and things like that, but then we also work with a large team of contractors, you know? And so those contractors all have other projects and things they're working on. And I know that, oh, in the past, I know that this person can crank out this thing in, you know, a day and a half or two or whatever. Um, but I can see how valuable it is to kind of have these conversations to really get to the the nitty gritty of, you know, what that looks like. So then I can promise, you know, to my client that, oh yeah, we can get this done by this time. And, um, and then not put undue pressure on my contractor or in my own mind, be like, you know, what's his deal? Like, you know, I, you know, because sometimes, you know, you, you start to make up your own stories about different people if they're not performing as maybe how they have in the past or whatever. And sometimes it's just picking up the call, making a phone call and be like, hey, man, what do you got going on? Like, you know, how, this is what I'm trying to achieve. Like, this is, you know, what you have going on. How, how can we both win in this situation? You know, so I, th- I think this is super, super helpful. I, I think really what's important as well is going back to your example of, you know, maybe it's a day and a half, maybe it's two days, but it doesn't always have to be two days. That's the key, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you might take a week and that's okay because it's not, it's, it's got some flexibility into when it needs to be done. Cause it's, put it this way, let's say you and I are both working on a task on different tasks. And when we're done, Ben gets them and he does something to it. Right. So maybe, maybe I'm taking three weeks and you're only going to take a week. Well, then you could take more than a week because Ben's not really waiting on you. He's waiting on me. I'm the holdup. So mm-hmm. rather than kill yourself to get it done in a week, give yourself two weeks. Right. And so being able to know which ones have that flexibility and which ones have to be locked and loaded is really powerful. And you only get that if you build schedules and you can identify this thing called the critical path which our finding has been on the projects we've been involved with is usually only about 10% of the task are critical, which means 90% can be late. So let's know which ones can be a little bit late mm-hmm. so we don't mm-hmm. kill ourselves and everyone. Because we know what happens is we get in this mentality, we have to do everything as fast as possible. And in reality, doing them fast as possible didn't help for most of those. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's that makes so much sense. And I just want to kind of also build on what you were saying with giving ownership to people. And this even works with kids, I think. And and this has been my experience in my family is just last week. What we did is as a family, we 
got sticky notes and I said, all right, everybody, let's figure out what are all the tasks it takes to run a household. And so I was like, all right, Jack, what does it take? And he's like, mm, I got to take out the trash. And I was like, oh, how about driving us around to our, our you know, activities? Okay. Somebody's got to schedule activities with your friends. All right. So he started writing down every single thing on a sticky note, just throwing up on the board. And then we're like, all right, let's put it, let's organize these now. Once we've thought of everything it takes, you know, financial planning, now let's start putting them under each person and see who does what. So we started stacking them up and they're like, oh my gosh, like mom does like 90% of this stuff. <laughs> Dad's doing some stuff, but like, and, and you know, we're doing a few things, and they're they're immediately like, "Oh man, you know what I could do? I could probably do this." And they just naturally like, "Hey, I could probably help with that." So they literally physically take the sticky note, put it under their name, and then like the rest of this week, they've been like, "Hey, um, Dad, I said I was going to help with like home repair. Are you working on the other house today? Is there anything you need help with?" And just like it's so powerful, like mm-hmm. letting people see the context and the impact of what they can do. And then letting them choose their own task because then it was their decision. It wasn't something they're forced. And psychologically, it's totally different. It is that key word there. I would bold and underline is there. It's their decision. They made it rather than you assigning it to them, which feels onerous and the man right putting something on top of me. This is more. Hey, I, there's a lot on dad or mom's plate. I could take this thing off, and I'm going to own it. Right? It makes me feel proud to take it. I'm going to own it. agree. Uh, In fact, the sticky notes is funny because our whole process is sticky notes and except that we just, we, we build a model of a visual model called a network diagram, which has lines between arrows between the tasks to show the sequence of events, but there's an owner on each one and a duration on each one. And we end up with these massive network diagrams we draw manually because we find that locks into people's heads better, Mm -hmm. but then we computerize it and we use the computer software for everything else. But that first three days is mm. predominantly manual uh, process and we find it really works well. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you've been in the business for a while now. You, the company's been around for 40 years, over 40 years. You know, what do you see as like the future pitfalls and the future of project management and, and maybe like some things that are going to be solved, you know? I'm not, you know, people ask me about AI and is that going to be replaced? And I think as long as you need Jimmy's and Bob's and Sue's, I don't think AI is going to replace that, right? You need people to do the Now can software do, I mean, get AI write code? Maybe they could probably do some coding, but they're not going to physically build a kiosk or they're not going to physically build a building and they're not going to put the, you know, the, the plings in place. So I think there's always going to be a need for planning and going into it. And I, I personally, it, Computers can probably build the plan for us today, but here's the challenge I would have to that. And it kind of comes back to what Ben just was, was talking about with his kids. You know, I've been lucky enough to work on all the Olympics uh, for Coca-Cola's activation since the early 90s, mid-90s. And I did the FIFA World Cup in Brazil as well for, for Coke. And so I had two years of working on that project off and on with the different teams. And I knew the people, I knew the processes. And that was in 2014, 2016, we do the Summer Olympics in Brazil. So having planned all these Olympic events, I know how Coca-Cola does that. And having worked in Brazil for a couple of years on projects, I knew how that worked. So there's no doubt in my mind, I could have gone off in the vacuum and put together a pretty solid Rio 2016 Summer Olympic plan, right? But that would never have worked because it would always be my plan. It would never have been their plan. Mm. and you need commitment and buy-in, and if the software assigns a duration or if a software assigns the order in which you do things, they're not committed to that because they're going, that's not the right order. That's not how I would do it. Maybe that's how Joe does it because Joe is better at that than I am, but that's not how I would do it. And this is the wrong order for me, and I need more time here but less time there. And I just don't think a software program or AI is going to do that. 
Now they might give us a framework we can flesh out, but I think the I think the future of project management is still pretty solid, and I think it's always going to be people centric. And as long as you need people to do project work, I think you're gonna. It's important you have commitment and buy in to do that. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Well, Clint. But then again, maybe I'm just the old guy going, get off my lawn. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy kids, get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. What are these dang wrangle robots? <laughs> well, hey, man, thanks so much for, for hanging out with us and, and just sharing your story and just enlightening us about, you know, people and process and, and all these things. Ben usually has some really good takeaways for us at the end of these episodes. And so I would love, Ben, your top three takeaways. Well, I would say uh, you said don't just communicate, conversate. That's going to be sticking in my head for a while. That's going to be a T-shirt. I'm going to get a T-shirt that says that. That's right. <laughs> just give me 10%. That's all I'll ask. That's right. I'll send you a shirt. Uh, if everything is a top priority, nothing is. Uh, you said turn people from an email address into a real person that you care about. And there you go. My favorite one. If you want to become a CEO, just buy the company and make yourself a CEO. <laughs> you summed it the whole hour in four seconds. Yeah. That's great, Ben. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, where can people connect with you if they want, you know, to find out more about what you're doing, get your books and uh, connect with you? Where's the best place? Yeah, the books are available in any of your online stores, Amazon, whatever. Uh, you can reach me at, at clint.paget at projectcss.com. I'm on LinkedIn at clintpaget, clint.paget. I'm on Twitter at clint.paget. So, and the company is projectcss.com. You reach there as well. Awesome. Well, hey guys, thanks for hanging out, listening. If you go to thefridayhabit.com, there you'll find show notes for the episode. Other, you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System which will show you how to set aside one full day each week to work on your business instead of in your business. Yeah, and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a review in the Apple Podcasts app. And if you have a question or any topics you'd like us to cover or any guests you'd like to suggest, just shoot us an email at hello at thefridayhabit.com. That's right. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. It's Friday.